everybody, and welcome back to the MMA Ground and Pound Premium Podcast. I'm your host, as always, Sean, PSU fans to Newsham. Joining me per usual, Mike H3 Buddha Brown. Mike, how are you doing? And why don't you give us uh, the recap of last week with uh, the winners of the free roll and how things are going in the um, qualifier, the survivor tournament that's going on. Well, surprisingly enough, Sean did not repeat as champion in the free roll. We uh, had a new free roll champion, Modded One, uh, came through with the win. Uh, really strong lineup. Valentina and Anthony Smith was great leverage on Krut. Usman Sekulich uh, actually lost, so he did have a loser. That's two times we've had free rolls, Sean, and people have had losers in their lineups. Um, Jeff Molina really kind of like the big surprising guy of the whole thing, getting 131 points. And Carnalosi, who was the first fight. Man, what a night back, though, with a bunch of fans. Really fun to see. Uh, you know, the fighters love they loved it. They just, they were going out for bonuses. There was something in the air. Everybody was uh, having a good time too. It wasn't like, you know, they were just out of their comfort zone with fans back. People were going for the finish. So I like that side of things. Um, qualifier. I got onto the qualifier as long as a lot of um, other rotor grinders people did as well. Um, it was crazy to see a lot of people stacked, you know, which is normal, but you know, Rose getting that knockout kind of killed off anybody that had Wiley Zang, which is kind of wild on that front. But, um, you know, definitely a card now this week that's a little bit, you know, going to go perhaps a little under the radar, I would say. Um, but I do like it. You know, overall, I think that um, there's some spots. It, there's a lot of strikers versus grapplers, which is always a fantastic thing for us because that's what we like for DraftKings purposes. We like to get those points uh, in bunches when they get the takedowns. And, um, you know, the main event itself is uh, quite a banger, I would say. Definitely. All right. We'll just dive right into it, everyone. Uh, as always, make sure you're following along with the Discord for any news and notes that might pop out. And we're going to give you what we have in terms of a schedule. And then that may or may not change as fights drop in and out. First fight of the night, we have Luke Sanders at 8,700 versus Felipe Colares at 7,500. Um, both of these guys' fights have historically been pretty good for DFS purposes. Uh, Kolaris, three fights have all went to a decision, but they've been action-packed. What do you think on this fight, Mike? Yeah, you know, Sean, this is the guy, Luke San uh, Sanders, that is the one who broke up with Becky Lynch. Why he did that, we still don't know. His career has gone downhill since then. He's been winning fights until he loses fights. Why? He's got incredible striking, heavy hands, and he wins the first round pretty much every single one of his fights. It it's insane how much uh, boneheaded moves he makes in there. Like he'll attempt to take down, then he'll get submitted. Boom. And heel hooks, uh, uh, Darce chokes, you name it. People are putting it on them after, you know, they lose the first round. So he is one of those historic fighters that yes, we want to be targeting his fights. I just don't think at this stage he's trustworthy. I mean, he's really dependent on that striking base, which heck he's going to have to find a finish. Kolaris has never been finished. That's the big thing for me. If the guy's been showing uh, chin issues or he's at the end of his career, I would say there's a problem. But, you know, Kolaris has a, a glaring hole in his actual armor. His chink in his armor is his takedown defense. Sanders has a wrestling base but has never, ever, ever used it in the UFC. How can you trust a guy who, uh, first of all, makes really boneheaded decisions in the, uh, in the ring in there, and then second of all, has never shown the grappling chops? I think it's a path for him to actually win this fight. It's, it's definitely a fight I'm going to be targeting. First fight of the night, 
buried on the card. Let's hope we can get some lower ownership. There's already value on Colaris's money line. 7,500, it's like plus 120. Money's going to continue to come in because of the way Sanders has completely lost his fights when he's winning. Now, I don't think Colaris has offensive wrestling to get it there to the mat. Like, I, I have a bit of concerns for Colaris's upside in this matchup. Like, the upside really does rely on Sanders. He can get a knockout that would be huge for him he and i think people may not want to go there still again who wants to play a guy who a uh just doesn't uh have a lot of heart and will uh once he sees a little bit of uh submission chops on the ground he's he's tapping out and then two heck sean you break up with becky lynch you kind of deserve to lose don't you yeah i mean you're definitely already losing to, to start so that definitely makes sense all right, next fight, we have Andreas Michalaitis at 9,100 versus KB Bular at 7,100. Um, Michalaitis is 0-1, losing in five minutes, and Bular is also 0-1, uh, losing in just under too much. So there's not tons of data. However, both of these guys lost uh, in the first round or in a very short time frame. So Vegas has this as one of the shortest fights on the slate, and Michalaitis is one of the bigger favorites on the slate in general. So, Mike, what do you think on this one? Yeah, the big thing here is the X factor is Buller's chin. The guy got knocked out last time by a pure jab. It's scary. Um, you know, he took a ton of time off. We should have really seen that he wasn't the best in the world undefeated fighter. We're seeing a lot of these people come in facing terrible competition. Maybe they face one UFC vet like uh, Buller faced Dwyer, Matt Dwyer, and he won against him. That was big win, you know, on paper. But again, Matt Dwyer, end of the career, a lot of durability issues. He went five rounds against Bular, and Bular looked, I guess, okay. Um, he's just not well-rounded, you know. He doesn't have all the tools to win his fights. And when you get knocked out by a pure straight jab, it's really concerning. So I do understand the total on this fight, and it's rightfully so. These first two fights present a ton of fantasy upside. Um, I don't think anybody's going to want to play Bular. And I mean, I don't know. He, he's an intellect. He's very smart um, outside of the cage and inside of the cage. He fights uh, a smart game plan, but um, I don't know how he really does win a fight like this. Like Michelaitis, uh comes into this fight, really strong, potent finisher in the first round. I thought the guy would be not really like a, a potent finisher. When you look through his record, he has been getting the finishes. And the reason being is because he comes from a Greco-Roman wrestling style. And that's where that base comes through. You know, these guys have great hips. They have power in their hands. He only had 23 significant strikes in his first fight or so. And the crazy ending to that fight was uh, Modaustus Gukakis uh, hit him with a, basically a 12 to 6 elbow behind the head as the bell rang. Remember the door opens? Michaelitis, boom, falls out of the cage. Well, I mean, anyone that gets hit in the back of the head is most certainly going to be out of it. And I would say he, he he stumbled out of the cage because the guy opened up the cage kind of behind him, so he just kind of fell out. I don't know if he was really knocked out, Sean. I, I, I tend to think maybe he was stunned a little, but um, he doesn't show any durability issues. So, like, it, that's not going to be a path for Boulard to really finish Michaelitis. If Bullard wins, he's going to be a, an okay play just based on those three rounds of racking up points. I just don't think he has grappling upside either on Bullard. Now, minus 115 inside the distance, Michaelitis is the strongest inside the distance play on the whole card. Like, you should be looking there. And I, I think people are going to be going there instead of, like, the strong, strong Stricklands that are going to be coming up. So I really do think he's a strong play on this card because he's got a well-rounded skill set. 
we could see those grappling chops come in. Heck, if he gets top position, he'll just knock out Bular from top position. And I'm really sure of that. I really like his price at 9,100. It's going to continue to be bet down like through the week. So keep an eye on those side of things. But um, if Bular presented a little bit more tools to win the fight, I'd love to take some stabs at him, but I can't at this price tag. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, it's, it's difficult if you're not going to win very frequently to get in there, but it's a better option than the next fight with Loma Lubunme versus Sam Hughes. Uh, Loma is the biggest favorite on the slate at 9,400 and Hughes at 6,800. However, the issue is, is the upside is incredibly limited. So I'm not expecting a great result here. So do you see anything differently with this fight? Otherwise, it sort of seems like a stay away from me. Oh, 100%. It's your classic highest price fighter that just lacks upside. We always talk about it. Broken record. We have to be broken records. We're looking for finishers. Potent finishers or pillar-to-post grappling, which we'll talk about another fighter later on that presents that upside. Luke Bome just really doesn't have that pillar-to-post win this fight all the way you know, grappling chops. She has fantastic Muay Thai. She comes from a Muay Thai b- background that's going to give her uh, a huge advantage. I think she wins based on volume here. There's not going to be enough volume to pay off that price tag. 9400 you're going to need to finish. And two decision wins, 65 and 77 um, Now, let's look at the side of Hughes here. Hughes kind of, um, you know, comes into the UFC late notice. We have to remember it was late notice. And um, didn't really show much of anything. I mean, there was like a... a in, in, in between the rounds, first and second, we never see a finish, uh, you know, in these women's fights that are expected to go to the decision. She basically says, no, I can't continue. And um, that's concerning. Like, I don't want to put my money behind a fighter that is willing to quit. I mean, you get into the UFC, uh, you've worked this hard, Sean. I, I don't want to put money on a girl or a guy that is going to quit in there. I mean, concerning enough, she was uh, getting hit at will on the feet. And that's, you know, going to be how she's going to lose this fight. I think the X factor is you're going to have a full camp for this girl, Hughes. Perhaps she has a grappling advantage. I think that might be a path for her to win this fight. Am I concerned about it? Not too much because I think Lupomi with that Muay Thai base, we've seen, you know, Muay Thai fighters be pure Muay Thai striking, not do too well against, um, you know, the takedown defense and historically, but like as these years are going on, there's totally going to be uh, a lot better. She's 72% takedown defense, so I don't think there's a lot to love in this fight. I think it goes to the decision. Um, I actually, you know, I, I keep talking myself into taking some punts on Hughes because I don't think anyone's going to go there. And um, it, the, rightfully so, the line is pretty darn wide for what it is. You know, it's kind of a buy low spot for Hughes. I'm not touting her to win the fight. I think Kubume wins a very low uh, scoring for fantasy purposes fight here. And uh, there's definitely better spots on the card to look. Yeah, and that's something I think they need to do in terms of they need a more dynamic pricing pattern. You can't just price everything in terms of who the biggest favorite is, who the biggest underdog is. That's it, done. Uh, it, it just is a shame when you price people that are big favorites that don't win in the way that you traditionally score that you really can't play them. If Loma was, let's say, 8,700, you might be considering that compared to 9,400 where you're just like, I can't play it because it's just never going to pay off. So the two glaring things that I see on Twitter all the time is that type of pricing where, hey, it's straight money line, Sean. Money line doesn't dictate fantasy output. So if we had, you know, grapplers priced up, 
the strikers that have the finishing upside, that middle 8,000s, and then like the guys that are going to go to the decision and just hopefully have a striking fair, um, you know, be those 8,000s, that would be the fair pricing. The other thing I keep seeing on Twitter, Sean, is the, um, you know, the fights that are canceled. And then, you know, there's say, say they go on air at seven and lock is at seven. There's a fight that's, that's canceled. And then there's what a 15 minute buffer that, you know, they, I guess the average fan is saying, Oh, uh, oh, I can swap. There's plenty of time to swap. Problem is once the ownership is shown strong, you cannot let people change. The pros will have such an advantage and people that know how to gain an edge will gain such a bigger edge. And I don't think late swap is a way that you can fix things because pros will have even more of an advantage. I think you can kind of back me up here with saying, you know, if they're able to play the early fighters and then change, they can basically hedge out of each single fight and make their way all the way to the optimal lineup almost every single slate. Yeah, that's something that's been discussed before. And so the problem is, is like the Sharks and the high volume players, they know that if late swap is there, they have a massive edge. Um, an even bigger one than they currently have. The problem is that the people that want late swap, a lot of the people that are really begging for late swap, they don't understand that for most of them, it is a big negative to have. For example, if I'm playing DFS or let's say college football, I don't leave my computer for 15 hours on a Saturday. If you leave your computer for 30 minutes to go pick up dinner or you go to movie with your wife or anything like that, you're at a massive disadvantage to me. Same thing would come into play in UFC. Let's say you want to go have dinner with your wife on Saturday night at 6 p.m. Well, you're killed if, if something happens. So it's just people don't understand how big of an issue it would be for their own good. And the sites adding a late swap for a site sport like this would really be a detriment to them. 100%. It would actually it goes against what they want. The only thing I can suggest, and I've only thought of is maybe a bench fighter, but even that kills the game in itself. We'll talk about that later on another pod. For sure. All right. On to the next fight. We got Kai Kamaka versus TJ Brown. Uh, Kamaka is 8,400 and TJ Brown is 7,800. So it's a pretty even price point game. However, Kamaka is a two to one favorite in this fight, but Brown is just as likely to get a finish if it ends it before the decision. So both of these guys have some good appeal to them. What's your favorite in this subplot here, Mike? Well, I mean, it's not because the guy's name is Brown and mine is too, but when you have these potent grapplers that just attempt so many takedowns per fight, you have to look at them. They're elite plays on any single car that they're on. He's attempting almost five takedowns per fight. In one of his fights too, when he uh, first came into the UFC, he had seven takedowns. Of course, what's the problem? Durability. The guy sent, tends to gas out and tends to not have a great chin, find himself in trouble the later the fight goes. That's a problem for us. We don't love to see that. But long-term, we're going to love when these guys are getting those five points every single takedown. If the fighter is able to get back up, that's only helping our scores and our overall output. Now, this fight certainly seems like your historical striker versus grappler. Now. One of my big things is let's look at Kamaka's last fight. Jonathan Pierce, a guy who we're going to see uh, coming up here, uh, not known as a really grapple-heavy fighter, five takedowns against Kamaka last time. Kind of shocked the world and, um, you know, beat him up on the ground too. Like, 
uh, it wasn't just grapple fest. It was grapple fest to, to ground and pound. And I think that's going to be a path for TJ. Um, I really like him. I think people are starting to show that they like him too. His money line keeps creeping down. You know, at the beginning of the week, it was about plus 155 and people keep betting it down. It's plus 130 now. It'll close even closer because people want to back these grapplers that have the uh, direct path to victory. Now, let's talk about this fight as a whole. I think it's one you're going to have to target. Kamaka wins this fight. Like you said, uh, he has a great striking base. He's got that Hawaiian heart. He's got heavy hands. He's got output on the feet. I just think he's got to keep it there. 37% takedown defense, not great at all. So I have to tout Brown because of that grappling chops. But you have to know that if Kamaka wins, he probably is going to be just as strong of a play as Brown. So that makes this fight as a whole a massive target. Um, You know, everybody on Twitter keeps joking around about Brown, but I mean, I think he's going to be highly owned. Um, and, and I think the percentage of times that his fights bust are so little that we, again, you're going to have to have a piece of this fight. So, I mean, I understand that Kamaka is, you know, less of a chance to finish this fight than Brown because Brown can get that top position and find a finish, you know, by submission or by knockout. I think Kamaka has that same type of upside and uh, that line seems to be off on my side of things too. So I like this fight as a whole, give me the grappler pretty much nine out of 10 times. And we'll have an even stronger grappler coming up later. Definitely. Uh, all right, on to the next fight. Moneyball 16 has this as the third best fight to target on the slate. We have Gabriel Benitez versus Jonathan Pierce. Uh, Benitez comes in at 8,800 and Pierce comes in at 7,400. Uh, it's expected to be the short, third shortest fight on the slate. Uh, Pierce has only fought twice in the UFC, but they've been very good fights from both a striking and grappling perspective. So do you like this fight that much, Mike, or do you not as interested? You have to like this fight. Um, Again, it's one of those classical Gabriel Benitez is uh, great striking that uh, Mexican heart, the boxing, and um, he packs a punch. He can hit and he's either basically finishing or getting finished. Now he does mix in unanimous decisions in there. That's a little bit concerning for me, but I think the way that Jonathan Pierce actually fights is going to dictate the whole pace of the fight. You know, he does come forward that last time out, it was huge for him to have success on the mat against um, Kamaka. Like we just talked about, he had five takedowns. I mean, if he starts mixing in that type of game plan, that's going to make him so much more uh, well-rounded. I have concerns on the feet. Gabriel Benitez, way better than him on the feet. That's the big concern here. And I think it does make him playable. You know, I, I think Benitez is a low-volume striker. He's going to be dependent on a strike, uh, a knockout. <laughs> and uh, it, it, at plus 130, it's actually not all that bad for a price at 8,800. Um, you know, there's there's some middle-range guys that have present upside on this card, but maybe a guy like Benitez goes a little bit overlooked because of, you know, Hey, people like are going to like Pierce, I think. And, and the other thing about Pierce is that he comes from that James Krause camp. We've seen how much success fighters that go to Krause right now are having. They're coming in with better game plans. That's why I do want to take some stabs at, at Pierce on this fight. Like, you know, sometimes it's like, hey, you have a fighter that has a direct path to knocking a guy out at, uh, you know, a plus 130 inside the distance. But Pierce can grind out a decision win. So, like, it, it's clear cut that I think you know, Pierce is going to score well in a win. You know, his price tag is 7,400, which is just really good on a card like this. It allows you to do a little bit more with your lineup builds. And um, beneath this, like I say, it's hard to go after a guy that is just one dimensional and he has to rely on a knockout. Like 
you know, in his wins, it's, you know, 38 strikes, uh, 85 strikes in the decision. It's not anything overwhelming. And when it's just lacking that grappling, I have to go with the grappler. I like Pierce in this spot. Um, you know, it's, it's a dog that I'm going to mix into some of my lineups. So, uh, yeah, I, another one of those fights you're going to have to target. The next couple fights, uh, I'm not too happy about those ones. Yeah, the, the next few on the card uh, up until we get to, like, the last three are just not as impressive. All right, next fight, we have Luana Pinheiro versus Randa Marcos. Uh, it's the most likely of the three women's fights to get a decision, but it still should be decent from a perspective of DFS points. Uh, it comes in seventh of the rankings for Moneyball 16. Uh, this is Pinheiro's first UFC fight. Marcos is a 6-10 and 10 bet, which is kind of funny that she's had 16 fights and she's only 6-10. and 10. You wouldn't expect someone to get that many uh, options as well. So what do you like in this one here, Mike? Well, you know, Marcos is an interesting fighter because, like, like you say, she keeps getting more and more chances. It's like the UFC kind of want to give her an opportunity to stay in the uh, organization. I mean, it's, she's a veteran. Uh, she's a crafty veteran at best. She can mix in some grappling chops. She uh, – sometimes just makes boneheaded decisions just like anybody else does in, the, in there. Um, you know, against a BJJ girl, she wanted to take her down and Dern and boom, she got submitted right away on the mat. Like that's just not the decision-making you want to get behind um, in this fight. Like you said, um, she's going to be get, going against a striker, a pure striker in Pinheiro. Pinheiro has been a potent finisher on the regional scene. And, you know, you want to see her taking out these lower level competitions, but she really hasn't faced anybody quite well alike Marco. So like, on paper, like say it was a straight bet, I'd be scared as hell to take either side of this fight like this. And that's why I think actually uh, for a DraftKings purposes, it gives us uh, uh, some upside on it um, because both of these girls. I... Looks like you cut out there a little bit, Mike. So I'll, I'll get going. Oh, it looks like you're back. Go ahead, Mike. Yes. Yeah, so Pinheiro is a striker that is going to rely on, again, volume and a knockout Marcos is going to win her fights and in this particular matchup by grounding Pinheiro she's Pinheiro really hasn't shown grappling chops and really we don't know what she's going to be if she gets down on the bottom so I don't know if I have the faith in Marcos to go in with that game plan and just get uh you know say 10 minutes of ground control I don't know if Pinheiro's going to be able to get back up but I like mixing in both of these girls in my lineup because I think this fight goes overlooked like I say, I'd be concerned getting behind either of these two girls with a lot of faith. Um, but, hey, if Pinheiro catches her, she, she might knock Marcos out. That's not out of the realm of possibilities. So I do think it's a sneakier upside. But, again, I don't love getting behind a minus 185 to go to the decision fight. That's a women's fight that, again, should stay on the feet. And I just think that Pinheiro wins the decision here. So I don't have a lot of faith in it, but I do, wouldn't hate you for mixing in a secondary uh, either or side of this. And, and again, it's easier to play a Marcos on a slate like this that allows those middle range fighters. Definitely. All right. On to the next fight, we have Pollyanna Botello versus Lana Carolina. Uh, Botello comes in at 8,900 versus Carolina at 7,300. Uh, this one is a bit worse than the previous fight to me. Um, these fighters have fought at a pretty decent pace, but it's incredibly likely to go to a decision here. Uh, so is there anything that you're going to go with here? I will say the plus side for this fight is the ownership shouldn't be too huge on either side here. So you can get reduced ownership here. 
and rightfully so, Sean. Like, this is one of your classic fights that is a woman's three-round striking on the feet. Like, I, I don't know if Patel is going to be able to get those takedowns. Like, she's at American Top Team now, which is fantastic to see. Um, you know, she presented a, an opportunity with that inside of the distance line that would help back up our point to get behind her. And, you know, say that was like a plus 150. I'd love to get behind that. Um, but she doesn't attempt a ton of takedowns either. It's about one per fight. Like, I think that's a path for, um, you know, Botello to take Carolina down and control and win this fight. Now, Carolina just doesn't, uh, again, one-dimensional striker, kickboxing style. Um, and I think her numbers are inflated because of the competition that she's facing in the UFC. She's got six and a half, you know, strikes per minute, but she's also absorbing quite a bit of damage on the other side, almost absorbing four strikes per minute. So, you know, I think she's lucky to be in the UFC, Carolina. That's the big thing for me. Um, don't be uh, surprised too if she's taken down. It says it, she's sporting a hundred percent takedown defense. That's just not true. She's, you know, fighters have pulled guard on her and found success. Uh, once the fight does, you know, get to the ground, there might be a reversal and then Botello gets some top position. Again, I don't think there's a ton of upside. Minus 280 to go to decision. I don't like getting behind a fight like that. Like you said, if there's anything, it would be an ownership play. And uh, I just don't know if Botello is going to land a ton of takedowns. It's not like in, in her fight, she's landed one, zero. Uh, she's gotten taken down by the topper tier. And then she's taken uh, Lauren Mueller down twice. Like it's not it's not the best to see. So I think this stays on the feet and it locks a lot of upside. Definitely. All right. Next fight we have Marab Devalish, yeah, Devashvili versus Cody Stammen. Um, it's a 9,000 price point for Marab and 7,200 for Stammen. Um, really not tons I like here, despite there should be quite a few takedowns uh, due to Marab, who is just incredible at takedowns. So, Mike, what's your thoughts on this fight? Yeah, Marab Delasili, DraftKings Gold. I'm just going to continue. I, I might have to uh, see if DraftKings can uh, get me some DraftKings Gold like T-shirts or something, because there are just those fighters that are purely made for DraftKings scoring. Um, you know, you get those takedowns, direct path to points. And then let's look at Marab. He gets those takedowns, but he's not a control guy, Sean. He's not that guy that's just going to stay and lay and prey on you. He's letting the fighters get right back up. And when that happens, he's ripping them right back down. It's fantastic for us long term. Now, let's talk about this particular matchup. Cody Stamen, massive American wrestling background. Like he, you know, Dallas Feely. Um, Georgian wrestler, it, it's kind of a weird way to say it. You never really hear of that, but he is just like the top tier guy. Like if he were wrestling in the United States, he would win gold medals, I would imagine. Like he, he is very, very good at his wrestling. Steeman on this other on the side of things, I just don't know. Like he was taken down by his teammate, um, Aljamain Sterling, and that's I was concerned about that. Like he was taken down and then knee barred, a very low percentage play. He was ripped apart his knee by Sterling. So, I mean, I don't think that there's finishing upside in this fight, John, but Dahas Feely is those, that type of fighter that when you're attempting freaking a, a gajillion takedowns per fight, you have to look at a guy like this. Now at 9K, again, it's a bargain. I I, I have to say it's a bargain. Eight takedowns per fight, it, it, I, he could still land a ton of takedowns. Now, I don't think he faces a striker like Stamen. Stamen presents a little bit of power. He's got uh, decent feet on the feet, and if he's able to keep it on the feet, he most certainly could win this fight insane amount of leverage if he wins this fight too because i think he starches that upside of dos feely 
and he kills off, you know, a gajillion percent of lineups because everybody's going to start their lineups with Dahasvili. Excuse me. It's just hard to not get behind him. Like, I have to say he has to be a first look when you're building lineups. Again, he's in a weird range. He's in a range where there's some finishing upside below him. There's some finishing upside ahead of him. Uh, so I do like him on a slate like this. He can break open any slate. And, um, you know, if I'm going to get frisky, I would play Stamen very, very small percentage and hope he starts as Doss Feely. And that would be a path to winning this. But, um, you know, Murad basically hasn't lost a fight in the UFC. He shows two losses. They're, they're bullshit decisions that happened. And um, he until he, fa- he faces like the top five of the division, I'm going to be riding him all the way until the end here. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. All right, on to the next fight. Moneyball 16 has this ranked really high up there as the worst fight of the slate. So we have Sean Strickland versus Christoph Jotko. Uh, Strickland comes in at seven or at 9,200, Jotko at 7K. Uh, this one should be a very, very slow fought pace. And this is one of the worst sort of win upside projections that we have seen. I don't remember seeing anything with this low of wind projection. So Mike, can you send any diamonds out of this that I don't see? No diamonds, but it is, you hyped it up to be nothing. It's true. Uh, I, you know, I think the real thing comes down to Sean Strickland is uh, really one, an interesting fighter. Like it's been a roller coaster ride following him in the UFC. Like he's losing to the Kamaru Usman's um, he's losing to uh, Dos Santos in there but he's looking good against this like middling competition. And the problem is this is a decent step up. Like Jocko is not bad. He throws extremely weird loopy strikes. Like uh, I, it's a striking fight a hundred percent in this position here. Like, you know, to go to the decision is minus minus one fifty five, And, you know, if one of these guys had a extremely strong inside the distance, I would love to target them, but you know, Strickland, needs to catch him and i think it would have to be early too like i think he has to start him or take him to the mat and get ground and pound but um there's just not a lot of grappling upside so i don't love this fight as a whole it's just weird to me because like people are really looking at jo- not looking at jocko rather and it's like jocko has tools to win the fight like he's out striking a lot of his opponents in his fights and he's evolving too he's got three uh decision wins over his last three fights um, but again, he, uh, when he steps up to the top tier guys, he's getting knocked out or getting uh, beaten by them. And I'm just not sure that Strickland is really a quote unquote top tier guy. So, you know, if, uh, if there's any upside in this fight, it's going to have to be on Strickland pushing a pace in here. And like you said, I don't see it. I think it's rightfully so a lower tier one. People might force Strickland in, but when you have a Michaelitis that has inside the distance, a stronger line right below him, I, you have to go there instead of Strickland. Like, um, you know, it, there's just no path for him that he can score really well in the first round. Like, Michaelitis' first round is going to have a huge strong prop to win when Strickland is at such a low percentage play to get a finish in the fight. Um, I will mix in some Jocko, and uh, call me crazy, but he allows for a lot of options. Like, if you go Jocko, you can jam in a ton of that middle range and still get uh, some top-tier guys. So, like, Maybe Jocko wins another one of these crazy split decisions. Like a lot of his sites, uh, fights tend to be split decisions. So I'm a little worried that maybe it's a closer fight than Strickland wants it to be. But overall, not a fight I have a lot of interest in. And um, you may get low ownership on these guys. Who knows? 
Definitely. All right. And just for everybody that didn't take advantage last week, we have our sponsor back again this week, Monkey Night Fight. Uh, make sure you guys hop over there. They have a lot of great offerings with MMA and then other sports as well. But now through April 30th, when you make your first deposit on Monkey Night Fight, we will instantly match it up to $100. That means twice as much fun and twice as much cash you can still win. Use promo code GRINDERS when prompted to get that great deal. So yeah, there's a lot of great stuff going on at Monkey Knife Fight. It really is just a different way to enjoy the fights. Um, and maybe you're bored with the DFS version or you have enough volume down in your contest and you wanna get a different way to go at it. You can go over to Monkey Knife Fight and utilize their stuff. So Mike, I know that this is one you're looking forward to from a Monkey Knife Fight perspective. What's your thoughts on this fight? Yeah, overall, I really like this one and heck, Hey, when they give me free money, I like making money on my money, Sean, you know, uh, give me a little bit of free money over here at Monkey Night Fight. I'll try to make you some more. Ian Kudalaba, 35.5 significant strikes on this fight. Dustin Jacoby, 34.5 significant strikes, basically the same significant strikes for both of these guys. Now, you would think, oh, you know, both guys, strikers, base, we're probably going over here. Heck, we are going the opposite way, boys. We're going minus 350 to finish inside the distance. I think a finish here presents itself early, presents itself often here. I think Kudalaba could get a takedown, ground and pound, and boom, this fight could be over. So I think there might be like 10 significant strikes, Sean. The way that Kudalaba fights, he's going to be finished or get finished, and I don't think it presents three rounds of striking. So I like the under on both of these guys. I think it's a strong play because of the finishing. You know, heck, Sean, these, these monkey knife fights, they're, they're, they're going off of averages, right? When there's going to be a finish, <laughs> the unders are going to hit at a high rate. We saw it last week with Rose. Yeah, no, 100%. That's uh, generally how it is transpired. And a lot of the time, if you can really find an exploit uh, like that, like you can find a fight that's going to finish super early. Well, the fight finishes in two minutes doesn't really matter what they put up as a, a total for significant strikes you're going to hit the under so anytime you find a fight that's going to be incredibly fast the unders are going to hit really rapidly compared to the flip side whenever you find a fight that's going to go super long into the distance especially what we talked about last week with five rounders you're going to hit the over quite frequently in significant strikes so i 100 agree with that Yep, and let's talk about the DraftKings breakdown side of things. This is a banger of a fight. It has to be one of the best ones on the whole entire card, Sean. Ian um, Kutalaba, the Hulk, he brings it, man. He fights with a fast pace. He's got uh, Samba wrestling behind him. He's used it in previous fights. I think he very well could use it here. That's why I do like the under in the fight, like we just talked about. Um, Jacoby, really one of those journeyman fighters. I think it really displayed himself last time out. He was in a spot where he really should have absolutely rolled over uh, Maxine Grissom, and he didn't. He just simply rolled over and basically got through by the skin of his teeth by winning that fight. Now, Kudalaba here, it has a little bit more in the tank. Again, everything is muscle with this guy. I, I have a little bit of concern that maybe he gasses out. Like, he could take Jacoby down. The best, best thing for him to do is get that knockdown or get uh, it down to the mat and ground and pound. This guy just is a potent finisher. You have to be targeting his fights. Um, it's not the last two losses were the losses to a top tier competition. The Russian killer, like um, you're going to lose these guys like Inkaliyev, but it's such a step down in competition for him. I think it's a massive smash spot for him. Plus 100 inside the distance. That's going to continue to get steam. 
and at his price tag, I mean, <laughs> you can't go wrong. I mean, he's 8,200. I love that. He's going to score pretty much 100 almost all the time that he wins these fights, and it'll be, like I said, in the first round. Let's talk about leverage. Kudalaba, like I say, has a tendency to just everything be muscle. He does gas out. If Jacoby wins, he'll present a huge score as well because he'll be killing off a ton of that Kudalaba's ownership, and he'll probably win by knockout. Um, I don't think that Jacoby implements any grappling. I think it would, like I said, it would be taking over late and uh, getting a knockout once Kudalava gets, uh, you know, outworked and his gas tank is low. Um, but again, I, I really like Kudalava. I've been backing him forever. I hope people don't play him because he's one of those guys that you have to be targeting because he's a wild man. And uh, it should be a really fun fight. It's the one I'm looking forward to the most on the whole card. That makes a lot of sense. All right, on to the next fight. One of your boys, Giga Chikadze versus Cub Swanson. Uh, Giga is really terrible for DFS, however. He's he's one of the guys I like to refer to as even if you win, you lose type of, of guys. Uh, he is 5-0. and oh. However, in five wins, he is only averaging 72 points per win, which is not going to get the job done. So is there a different line of thought in this fight? Could he maybe make something happen or could Cub make something happen? Otherwise, this fight just is not super appealing. Yep, you're stri uh, striker versus striker. The worst matchups for uh, DraftKings purposes, fantasy upside. Um, Giga, yeah, you know, let's talk about him. He's just faced the absolute low-tier competition here coming into the UFC. Like, um, he doesn't present any uh, takedowns, really, against these lower guys. Maybe he takes them down. Last time out we saw our finish, that was against uh, Simmons, who just simply shouldn't be in the UFC. Cub Swanson, man, journeyman, just uh, a wrestling-based fighter, volume striker. Um, you know, and he's shown a little bit of resilience in his last, you know, he has ripped off two wins and, um, looked really well in them. I think that was surprising last time out that he got two knockdowns and beat Pineda on the feet. Like I thought Pineda would, you know, give him a run for his money on his feet. Maybe Pineda would get to get some takedowns. Um, God, I, I think Swanson has some win equity, a little bit more win equity than you would think on a card like this. Um, but again, it, it would be striking base. You'd be hoping for like 100 significant strikes or more. Um, Giga, on the other hand, um, you know, he's going to have to catch Cub. Like maybe Cub's really, his chin is worn over the years of battle he's done. Again, it's it's a low percentage play. Like it's, it's still plus 250 to win inside the distance. It's not very strong. Um, and again, this fight to go to the decision is minus 155. So I don't like targeting fights that are supposed to go to the decision. Um, you're banking on chins and both of these guys have shown fantastic chins over their career. Um, you know, and like I say, I think if it stays on the feet, um, it's, it's a massive step up for Giga. Giga has faced this, this crappy competition and when Cubs been facing great top tier competition and been losing to him, but he's still putting out volume against these guys in three rounds. So don't be surprised if uh, Cub does win this fight here. Um, I, I think, you know, Giga is a little bit more craftier. He's got kicks kickboxing type style versus you know uh, a, a boxing style in Swanson um yeah I don't know overall stay away for me but I might mix a little Swanson up to you know get a little crafty for sure all right on to the main event we have jury pro Chazka versus Dominic Reyes uh it's, according to Moneyball 16 he thinks that you probably will be stacking this in cash or at least he will be due to them having a very even price point. And it's very weird. Uh, Prochaska has only had one UFC fight, 
And yeah, he's in the main event. So that is a little bit weird to me as well. So Mike, what's your thoughts here on this fight? Yeah, he's a wild man. He's certified absolutely not so in there. I mean, the guy was fighting with his hands way down, just throwing little loopy punches, get willing to get hit to trade with fights. Uh, his last fighter last time out against Uzdemir. Um, it was surprising too, because Uzdemir hits pretty darn hard too. Like uh, he did get caught a couple times, but his forward, uh, you know, movement, he just moves herky jerky moves forward and he can win fights like this. Um, it, it's a really, really interesting uh, fight because Reyes was surging up the ranks. I mean, heck, he gave John Jones a, a run for his money. Uh, you know, hundred he outstruck John Jones, 116 strikes to 104. Um, you know, it, it's just like last time out, then he loses to Jan Blachowicz by uh, knockout. Um, you know, it's a massive setback, and you don't like to see a guy like that who coming off a title fight against John Jones who looked decent get knocked out by an old man who's got, you know, decent power, but, you know, not known for knockouts. So, you know, it looks like the UFC is setting uh, uh, Yuri up for a decent win here. Um, I do like that. Like, he has the better inside the distance at plus 115 compared to Reyes at plus 175. And I think it's just because there's so many unknowns still with Yuri. Like, we don't know what we're going to see in the third, fourth, fifth rounds uh of this fight if it gets that far like and and that's the problem right because yuri if he wins is going to have a strong score in the first or second round by knockout and it's a direct path for him to win this fight it's just how can i say you know we're all in on yuri because he's going to get the knockout i can't possibly say that you're going to need both sides of this if you're mmeing i'm going to lean with uh yuri or if i'm if i I, I keep landing on that Reyes range. So I think Reyes might be a little bit more popular and he's got name value too. Um, I wish he had grappling upside. I, if, if Reyes could take him down, it'd be very interesting. I don't think he's going to go that route. That's the problem. Um, and again, if, it's a fight you should be stacking in cash for sure. Uh, it, it's a fight you should be right away looking at. Um, and again, price tags. I mean, 8,300 for Yuri fantastic price because in his wins he's going to score well and if it goes five rounds you're going to get a ton of volume out of it same thing with race 7900 in his wins he's going to score really well too so um obviously best fight on the card to target um from that standpoint um it's just how are you going to build your lineups and that's what it comes down to um you know like i say we have some grapplers on this card that you're going to be wanting to target first and then uh you know avoiding those women's fights and then you're going to have some of these dogs that present um, grappling upside as well. So I like those too. So you, maybe you don't need to go to Reyes on a card like this. I like Yuri because again, he fights with a crazy pace. It's just, he's eventually going to get caught. That's the type of fighter he is. If Reyes is Reyes, the guy to do it, he very well could. So um, I like both sides. I'm going to lean with the uh, better inside the distance at 115. And uh, again, fun little card here. Let's hope everything stays together. Um, Overall, uh, the prize pools continue to stay really strong, and that's what we like to see, Sean. For sure. All right, everyone, that is going to wrap it up for us. And don't forget to check out Monkey Knife Fight with Grinder or with code Grinders when prompted uh, to get a $100 match on your offer. So, Mike, is there anything else you want to add before we just close it down for the day? No, sounds good to me. Um, you know, like, uh, like I say, you know, don't go crazy on cards that you just – I, I see exact outcome on a card like this. People are going to start their lineups with Marab right away. They're going to take a piece of the main event. They're going to mix in a TJ Brown. They're going to go for like a, you're going to have to have a piece of the Jacoby and Kudalaba. 
You know, like I, I try to tell you guys, like these are the fights that we have to be targeting. And then you have to be getting those top range guys right, you know, with that inside the distance. So, you know, I, I really like a card like this from a game theory standpoint. But other than that, next week, um, they've made some changes. We might have a different main event. They are, The main event fell through already. So uh, we'll see what brings us next week. And uh, everybody, good luck. All right, everyone, that is going to wrap it up for us this week. As Mike said, best of luck, everyone. We hope you guys win this weekend. For Mike, I am Sean. We will see you next week. Have a great one, everyone.